to another edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast. And thank you, David Dinger, for providing such great introductory music. And we have a lot to cover on this edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast. I assure you, we're going to cover some very interesting subject matter. Also, we'll answer a few very good emails and talk about uh, an essay that I read recently by Chuck Thurston who is uh, involved over there at, uh, I think it's Urantia University or the Urantia. They do a lot of videos with Derek, uh, is it Samaris? And he read, wrote an incredible essay that someone sent to me in response to a podcast I had done recently on the Lucifer Rebellion. And I want to thank that person for sending the email, but the I'm, I'm probably going to try to post the uh, Chuck Thurston essay because it delves into a lot of things that are that are just and I and I want to actually try to get him on too to go into it because it covers a lot of what's going on today in the world and the way the ideological struggle between good and evil and and uh, materialism and spirituality and it's just it's just chock full of good information and I don't want to I don't want to uh I want to give it its due and so hopefully we'll get Chuck on in the next couple of weeks we hope so uh, and we'll talk about his essay, but I will refer to it a little bit in this particular subject, this podcast. We're going to be talking about the supreme being and its relationship to the individual. So we'll get that. Also, we have some, like I said, a, a good email question we can kind of dive into. And uh, I also want to share with you that uh, another email that I got from someone. And I want to share with you some some works that were produced a few years ago by a gentleman in Northern California that I that I think you'll really enjoy hearing about. So we'll cover all of that, talk about the Supreme Being, uh, and we'll pay a few bills first. And welcome to the Arantia Radio Podcast. Okay, welcome back to the Arantia Radio Podcast. My name is Jim Watkins, and I've been a lifelong reader. I've now read the book more... Uh, I picked it up when I was 19 or 20, and I've been on this earth for 60 years. So I've actually been on the earth with the knowledge of the Arantia book more than not being aware of the Arantia book, which was the first 20 years of my life. So for 40 years, I've known about the revelation in my 60-year life, and I'm really happy about that. Really, I am. I got a great email from someone who listens to the podcast. And the question was, why is it so hard to get people interested in the Arantia book? Now, drawing from my own experiences, which I coincidentally included in the opening of my new as-of-yet-unfinished book, A New Perspective, How the Arantia Book Will Facilitate a Spiritual Renaissance, it goes into my early early experiences when I tried to share the book with certain family and friends when I first started reading the Arantia book. And I think I got a lot of people interested over the years, but many people, uh, you know, I would loan the book out to people, and a lot of people that I thought would be receptive to it just gave the book back. And they were always nice about it, but then they always kind of acted differently. Many of them acted differently and never really wanted to talk about it. I had one friend who told me that they thought the book was absolutely fascinating. But he felt like, and he actually told me, he says, how do I know this book is true? 
How can I invest my time in something if I don't know it's true? So it does take a commitment. Even the revelators were astonished, I am told, in the early days when the reception of the original forum, they, they would say things like, do you people realize what you have in your possession? And you will find that mentioned in the early testimony from Bill Sadler and some of the readers back in the 40s. You know, I, I knew a woman, I was introduced to a woman uh, back in the 90s, I think, mid-90s. My mom lived in Phoenix and I went to visit her. And of course, she knew how much I enjoyed the Urantia book. And my mom actually was a big supporter. She read uh, the Urantia book and, and really thought it was the most important book she'd ever read. Anyway, she knew this woman they had met, and she was always bragging about her son. So it came up about the Arantia book. And so I was introduced to my mom's friend, who I'm sorry I don't have her name, but she was in her 80s or 90s. And she said and she was part of the early forum. Her boyfriend was in the forum, so she would go to these meetings at diversity there in Chicago. And, and initially, she would just go to be with her boyfriend, and she remarked to me, she goes, he was really into this book, but really I was more interested in him. And I didn't get into the book until much later. So you've got that story. And then on the other hand, uh, you know, I passed the, the book, the Arantia book on to several friends who absolutely loved the book. And it changed their life almost right away. So I think my experience is that it depends on two important things. One is how hungry a person might be for the truth and where they might be in their life at the time that you hand them the book. Now, if you run into a person who is at a point of their life where they're sincerely looking for real answers, that's when I think the Urantia book has the most appeal. So if you give it to someone and they're not necessarily looking for it, you might just be wasting your time. So that's my, my answer to that email. But I will tell you that that email led to me going through some of my boxes. And I found a book that I bought a few years ago. I don't remember where I saw it, but it was by David Bradley. And uh, it's White Egret Publications, and he lives in Northern California. And the book is called An Introduction to the Urantia Revelation. And I bought a copy. It was like 15 bucks. I think you could still get them online, although I did call David and I said, are you still publishing the book? And he said, well, I took it off of Amazon because they kept charging me too much. So I'm going to give you a phone number. And if you are a, a big-time Urantia book reader or a long-time Urantia book reader, and you, you maybe want to have a reference book, something that you could give to somebody that sort of gives a simplistic overview of what the Urantia book is all about. It's got some interesting, cool fold-out maps that sort of give you a perspective of, of the universe, you know, based on the Urantia book narrative. So again, the book is called An Introduction to the Urantia Revelation. And the, the author is David Bradley. He wrote it on his own. And he self-publishes. And he told me he's got a couple of boxes that are just sitting there waiting to be purchased. He's got about 150 copies. So let me give you his number. It's 707 822 2577. Did you get that? It's 707 822 2577. Now, I know this is going to blow a lot of people away, but you may just have to write a check and send it to him, and he'll send you the book. 
<laughs> I know, right? We all want to download it, have it on our smartphone. But it's a really nice book, and it's worth whatever he charges, 15 20 bucks. 707-822-2577. And his name, again, is David Bradley, and the name of the book is called An Introduction to the Urantia Revelation. And I'm just doing this. I, I have no dog in this race. I don't get anything out of it. But I could just tell that David put a lot of heart and soul. Uh, we, anybody who's tried to write a book about the Urantia book knows that it's not an easy proposition. So reach out to David, 707-822-2577, and tell him Jim told you. All right, so this week, uh, one notable, we have surpassed over 100,000 downloads since we started this podcast back in August of 20, I think it was 2019. So I just want to say thank you to all the folks who've honored me with your time. You know, what we're about here on the Orange Radio Podcast is sharing the good news. So our topic this week, how do we understand the concept of the Supreme Being? So what does the Supreme Being mean to us as individuals? What does it mean? You know, my dad, uh, he was not a believer in a personal God, but he was a believer in the Supreme Being, kind of the concept of the universal mind. And some people find it easier to believe in a supreme being, really, rather than a personal, approachable God. Someone that they can actually enter, entertain prayer with and meditation with. For some people, it's not that easy because God is such a huge concept. But they do understand the concept of a sort of an overriding force. So the supreme being to a lot of people is like a force, a force of good or something that just sort of is omnipresent. And this is why I think maybe it's easier for people to believe in angels, which is on a much more connective level. Uh, and of course, Jesus, people really connect with Jesus because he had such a personal appeal. You know, he was one of us. And he brought us a great revelation about a personal deity, our Father in heaven. That was a new concept that Jesus brought forth, the idea, this idea that you could have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. That was unfathomable. But the supreme, the supreme being, is something a little different, and it takes the concept of God to a whole different level. Uh, and, it and I think it deserves some examination because, well, for one thing, it illustrates the challenges we face as human beings right now in this struggle when it comes to good and evil and choices we make in our life and the big struggle today that is challenging us to make important spiritual positions. So I want to read a little bit, just a couple of paragraphs that talks about the supreme being. But before we get to the meat of that, that subject, this is an excerpt from paper 12, section 7. And you may have read it. It's called The Part and the Whole. So it reads, There is operative throughout all time and space, and with regard to all reality of whatever nature is an exorable and impersonal law, which is equivalent to the function of a cosmic providence. Mercy characterizes God's attitude of love for the individual. Impartiality motivates God's attitude toward the total. The will of God does not necessarily prevail in the part the heart of any one personality, but 
His will does actually rule the whole, the universe of universes. God the Supreme, the actualizing or evolving God of time and space. Personal deity associatively realizing the time, space, experiential achievement of creature-creator identity. The Supreme Being is personally experiencing the achievement of deity unity as the evolving and experiential God of the evolutionary creatures of time and space. That sounds like a very deep concept, but it basically means that God is experiencing life through his created beings. He's evolving by using our experiences to add to his existential supremacy. From paper 7, or section 7 in the foreword, it reads, The Father, Son, and Spirit are existential, without beginning, without ending. Existential in actuality, though all potentials are supposedly experiential. See, there's a difference between existential, which essentially means you're always perfect and always will be perfect and always has been perfect. But believe it or not, there's some limitations in that. Because what do you lack? You lack actual experience. So if you lack actual experience and you're existentially perfect, well, are you, are you perfect in all manner? Are you exhaustively perfect without the experience? The supreme and the ultimate are wholly experiential. So that means God of the future, there's still potential for growth. The essence of deity is eternal, but only the three original persons of deity, which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, are unqualifiably eternal. The next paragraph reads, Having achieved existential deity expression of himself in the Son and the Spirit, the Father is now achieving experiential expression on hitherto impersonal and unrevealed deity levels as God the Supreme. But these experiential deities are not now fully existent. They are in the process of actualization. So that means that God the Supreme is an evolving deity. So think of an embryo inside of a body. Well, that body is the present universe, but it's producing another level of deity on the experiential level. And how does it get there? How does it achieve this? Through the creation of individuals like ourselves who all play a role. So here's where it reads, The supreme being now actualizing in the evolutionary universes is the deity correlator and synthesizer of time-space divinity. When finally actualized, the evolutionary deity will constitute the eternal fusion of the finite and the infinite, the everlasting, insoluble union of experiential power and spirit personality. So that is what this embryonic supreme being represents, experience and existential perfection. Now, 
you're asking yourself at this point, okay, well, what do I have to do with this? What is my relationship with the Supreme? So here's where I say God gives us a fragment of his spirit. Remember how in those, those, uh, those old audio tapes of Bill Sadler when he, when he talks about the patches of God and how each fragment is identical in potential divinity and this fragment is the thought adjuster who has nothing but time to get to know you and share your life with you. The father fragment that lives with you throughout your entire life if you're a moral being. Uh, And that's what we have in ourselves, all human beings. We have thought adjusters. We have spirit fragments, the spirit, the lamp of, of God. And it spiritizes our living experience. We can choose to be a part of the growth of the Supreme by participating and choosing God's will in our lives today, which can be seen as moving forward with with the movement of God towards the evolution of the Supreme. In a way, the Supreme Being is in an embryonic form. Think of a body, again, the central universe, the heartbeat, the heartbeat of the Trinity. Isn't it amazing? Think about your heart. Think about it just beats every day. It continues to beat every day. It's the per- You can't live without it. Just like the Father and the Trinity can't live without Havona. Havona is a perfect universe. One billion perfected spheres that all came into existence at the time that the Trinity was complete. And that reflects the spiritual and physical power of the Trinity, Havona. But they weren't done. But can you imagine how much power? Think about the fact that we have in the current age 70 trillion suns that are burning out in space. And that represents the physical power power of the first source and center. The same first source and center that is a personal and loving deity. Now the supreme comprises all of God's current creation of spirit ascenders eventually born, actualizing, and coming into existence as a result of the exhausted achievement of all of us, all of us ascended beings who choose to participate. Or we don't. If we reject the plan of eternal survival and participation, then the only thing we possess, which is our personality, which confuse with the spirit fragment of God, it makes it possible for us to survive mortal death, survive salvation from materialism, but we're free to choose that or or we're free to reject it. Now, if we don't choose that plan and we don't become team players, as they say, well, God still takes the spirit fragment, which has our memories. The thought adjuster is eternal. The thought adjuster goes back to God. And if we choose to attach, uh, attach ourselves to that spirit fragment, then we're along for the ride. God doesn't waste a single valuable spiritual experience. It is part of the building block and the growth of the supreme being. Imagine if we're living cells and we are part of a growing collection of other living cells, other ascendant beings, all part of this embryonic formation of what eventually eventuate as a supreme. And it is at this stage the next universe age begins. Imagine that. Once 
the age of light and life is lived out on all the worlds of the current creation. And the supreme being emerges out of all of this. Just as the appearance of Havona occurred and the seven universes, the seven super universes of which we are a part, occurred at the time of the completion of the Trinity. And by the way, it gets really exciting because in the next universe age, we, having achieved the embrace of the Father, having achieved the limits of finality, are now mustered into the core of personalities who become ministers and teachers in the next universe age. Just as we have teachers and administrators of this current age, the Melchizedeks, Gabriel, the Lananandeks, the Material Sons, and all of the spirit personalities who serve in this age in bringing about the culmination of this age leading to the next. But what if you decide to reject the plan? What if in this life you become a habitual denier of the offer of spirit salvation? It means you're actually becoming less real, less meaningful. You know, Lucifer will eventually experience personality annihilation, not from adjudication as we might see it in our earthly courts where someone's sentenced to death, but from the total and complete rejection of the efforts of the Supreme to be born. Lucifer is working against that plan through his unbridled liberty proclamation. It's kind of like what happens when a cell goes rogue, a living cell in your body? What happens when living cells die? They're flushed out. They're eliminated. They're not part of the growth of the Supreme. They've got their own ideas. You know, in its most simplistic terms, God needs team players on this one. Everything in the universe moves with the current of the existential father seeking to emerge as an experiential deity, which can only be achieved if we all are participants in this grand plan. And if you don't, if you are a personality that says, no, I want to have it my way, I want to do things on my own, screw the plan, I have my own plan. Except that you don't. You see, you don't get your own plan. You don't even get your own planet. You actually possess only one thing that makes it possible for you to escape from the dead end of materialism. And it has to do with your contribution to spiritual value, the evolving of the supreme. Lucifer is not going to get his own system to play with. Caligasti, who roams on our world and is a follower of the Lucifer doctrine, doesn't get to keep this planet all to himself. He may be here to flesh out some of his supporters, but he continually rejects salvation by denying the existence of the reality of the Supreme. He becomes less real, just as we each become less real when we deny survival or reject the idea of spiritual ascension because we're too arrogant or we have too much hubris, too much pride of self. Longtime Urantia book student Chuck Thurston uh, wrote a wonderful essay I will post on UrantiaRadio.net. I'm trying to get his permission. I'm trying to actually try to get him on the show. And he talks about the current age and why there's so much evil. He explains that the Most Highs are in the process of vetting those who are sympathetic 
to the Lucifer doctrine of self-liberty. I hadn't really thought about that, but I think there's truth to that. There's a doctrine that works against the supreme, and it's in play now. Uh, but strong families, intelligent petitions to the Father, seeking for spiritual guidance, moral wisdom, service of others, developing a spiritual relationship with the first source and center, those who work toward the supreme are joining forces with God, not deciding that we have a better plan to do something else. The social embrace of pride, the self-assertion of liberty without license, cannot last. But it does provide the Most High as a way to filter out those who may not make it to the next step. You know, if you think about it, death is a great filter of the spiritually insolvent. This is why faith is such an important aspect of human personality. Without that faith, you need that faith. It's, it's like a passport, really. And it is because God wants only the committed that we must endure the mistakes of our brothers and sisters who reject this plan and try to be their own gods by finding out new ways to grow fetuses or they get involved in human trafficking to make a quick buck or feed a fetish or believing it is not moral to experiment on society to make a quick buck. Do you know what I'm talking about? And all of this exposes those who sit in darkness. So I do want to pull a quote from Chuck Thurston's essay. He says, Humans who rebel against God are inevitably causing the death of their souls, but they are also discovering the intoxicating hubris of false liberty with its releases from all restrictions and obligations having to do with decency, sincerity, and accountability. They can be dead spiritually and still wield tremendous influence over human affairs for the duration of their natural lifetimes. Again, using the embryo metaphor and attempting to conceptualize the emergence of the Supreme, we can choose to be a part of that or we can choose not to be a part of that. Our decisions here and now affect whether we take the next step or we reject the notion of a next step altogether and try to reap all the pleasures in one single, finite, instantaneous lifetime, which is what the world is currently selling you. And that is why these are confusing times. Unbridled liberty is intoxicating and it slowly kills the spirit. The Son of Man taught us the way to avoid the pitfalls of this dangerous intoxication. He taught us to serve one another. And so I'm going to close with the same paragraph that I started with from paper 12, section 7. There is operative throughout, throughout all time and space and with regard to all reality of whatever nature an exorable and impersonal law which is equivalent to the function of cosmic providence. Mercy characterizes God's attitude of love for the individual. Impartiality motivates God's attitude toward the total. The will of God does not necessarily prevail in the part the heart of any one personality, but his will does actually rule the whole, the universe of universes. So I hope that those words bring you comfort and inspire you in, in ways that I can only imagine. But this is a, 
I think one of my most favorite subjects, something that I've been putting a lot of thought into, and I hope that you can appreciate some of what I've conveyed on this episode. That's going to do it for this edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast. Don't forget, you can always email. Got a question about the show or a comment? Radio at gmail.com. 